Luke chapter 5. I do want to speak to the subject of what it means to be cleansed. We're going to look this morning at a leper who's going to meet Jesus, and, and Jesus is going to change his life physically. He's going to change his life spiritually. He's going to cleanse him. But when you think about being clean and what it means to be cleansed, uh, humanly speaking, you probably first think of a, of a bath. And so if you're a parent in here this morning, you understand that one of the most stressful and difficult things you will do in a week is give your kids a bath or instruct them to give themselves a bath. And why is that such a fight, right? I don't understand that. I had experience very similar to that. My kids aren't here in this service, so I can, I can just lay it out there, right? They won't know it unless they watch it online. But we had a very similar experience last night. It's just, I mean, you know, it's a fight and, and, and it's just back and forth. I'm like, just get in the bathtub. Soap, water, put it on your body, let's go. I mean, what, what are we fighting about this for? Why do you not want to get a bath? But here's what kids do. They like bath time. They don't like bathing, right? Kids like to get in the water. I mean, you take a two-year-old, a three-year-old, what, five-year-old maybe, they will spend an hour in the bathtub playing and, and never never even hiccup about it. Their body is like just wrinkles because they've been in the water so long. The water is freezing cold. They don't even notice it. But if you turn on the hot water, it's like scalding to them, right? I don't understand all of that. But as soon as you walk in as a parent and you say, all right, it's time to get washed. It's like they think you're going to take the wire brush out and wash their body. Or you're going to just sit there and yank on their hair. That, that's what happens. I, I don't know what it is uh, with boys. I've never experienced that since I only have girls. But the, the washing of the hair is, is traumatic for some reason. Amen. <laughs> Girl dads can sympathize with that. But why don't kids understand they need a bath? They've spent all day outside, especially on like a Saturday. They're playing in dirt, digging, collecting bugs, doing what kids do outside, if kids go outside anymore. Uh, that's another subject for another day. But, you know, they're outside all, the, all day long. You know, we got to get in there. We got to get a bath. And they, they give the excuse, well, I had a bath last night. Or I had a bath two days ago. Uh, great. Let's, I take baths daily. You should take baths daily. So it's this fight that we have with our children because they don't want to get bathed. Hopefully, as we get older, we grow out of this. Hopefully, as we grow older, we realize baths are good. Cleanliness is good. Someone even says it's next to godliness. And so uh, we grow out of this because we begin to understand that bacteria likes to, to hang out in gross places. It likes to thrive in dirt and grime and, and all of that. And so we understand as adults that cleanliness is a good thing. As you read the Bible, you also see that God has the same perspective. The Bible puts a strong emphasis on cleanliness. In fact, as you read through, especially the Old Testament, you see that God has given us laws by which to live by. He gave the, the people of Israel laws to keep them from dangers. He gave them laws so that their lives would be better and be more benefited. And when you read through that, you see that a good portion of those laws uh, deal with or touch on uh, the way a person eats, or what a person is to touch or not to touch. It's all about uh, helping someone know what not to do and then know what to do after you've done something you shouldn't do. So in other words, if you touch something that is, biblically speaking, unclean, what are the steps you need to take to be cleansed from being unclean? So that's what we see in the Bible is a lot of emphasis there. And so when we follow those laws, as God's people follow those, those laws, we see that God's people could and would be physically healthy and clean. 
But we also see that the laws were not just given for, for physical health. There's something, something deeper than the physical. They speak to the deeper spiritual need, the deeper spiritual cleanliness that should be desired. You see, they represent to us being holy before God. That's what the Bible's emphasis is on. There is a physical component, absolutely. But ultimately, it's always going back to how are we clean and holy before a holy God. This morning, as we move on in our study here in the Gospel of Luke, we are seeing that Jesus is continuing to do what he's been doing. And so if you know what he's been doing, he's traveling city to city, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's healing the sick and the lame. So he's doing that in town after town after town. Here in this passage, we're going to see that in a specific location, uh, he met this man who was full of leprosy. And so this man, for years, had suffered physically, he had suffered emotionally, he had suffered relationally from this disease of leprosy, because no one wanted, or to, wanted to be around him or wanted anything to do with him, because he was an outcast in society. He was unclean. Jesus, however, we're going to see, not only healed this man, but he touched this man, he embraced this man, he physically embraced him in his disease. And so Jesus heals him, we see, physically, but I believe we also see that Jesus is healing him spiritually because we're going to see this picture of leprosy and what it is alluded to in Scripture, what it represents, and it always represents sin. So I believe what the Bible's teaching us here through Jesus touching this man and healing him is not that he just healed his leprosy of the physical body, but that he healed his leprosy of the soul. And so this morning, I want you to see in this passage that the unclean is made clean by Jesus Christ. Look with me, Luke chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 12. Luke says, while he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Leprosy, you've probably, if you've read through the scriptures any at all, you've probably seen this term come up uh, in multiple places. Leprosy is this skin condition that the Bible kind of generally classifies and calls it leprosy. It's a, a, a condition or a classification of skin diseases that can cover many type of skin diseases. One of those would include the disease called Hansen's disease that we have even today. This disease called Hansen's disease causes numbness in the body's extremities, the, the, uh, the ears, the eyes, the nose. And so in this case, the devastation that follows is not so much that your skin begins to rot off. It's that you lose the nerves in the, those extremities in those places. So now you can no longer feel. And so when something happens, normally the pain would tell you to pull back. There is no sensation there. So you get a wound. And in that culture, there is not 
not a lot of cleanliness. And so when you get a wound, you don't know about that wound. Infection quickly sets in, begins to de deteriorate the tissues. And what ultimately happens is the tissues are deteriorated so that it begins to rot. And ultimately, the limb or whatever will fall off without medical attention. And so that's Hansen's disease. But there are multiple types of quote-unquote leprosy that were uh, uh, around and apparent during those days. So in biblical times, what we see is that a healing from leprosy was rare. Uh, it was rare for someone who had leprosy to, uh, to be certified as being clean. But when it did happen, the Bible gives instruction of how a person was to go about making sure they were healed from leprosy, and then the celebration that followed thereafter. And so in Leviticus chapter 14, we see this certification, this elaborate ceremony that extended for full eight days in fulfillment of everything that is laid out there in Leviticus chapter 14. It began with a priest who would come out to the unclean person outside the camp, the person who was wanting to be certified as being clean, and that priest would verify whether or not the individual had been healed. So they would look at the wound or the wounds, they would, they would address the situation, and they would determine if there is a healing in the skin. So then, still outside the camp, the Bible tells us that the priest, if there is a, a declaration that, yes, there's a healing that's taking place. Then they would take two birds uh, and they would be presented along with some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. The priest would take one of those, one of those birds along with the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and he would kill the bird in a clay pot that was filled with water, which symbolized uh, a cleansing. Fresh water symbolized a cleansing. So the bird would be uh, killed within the clay pot over that water so that all the blood is contained then. And they would take the other live bird, along with the scarlet yarn, the hyssop, and the cedar wood, dip all of that into the water. And then they would take the blood from the animal, from that bird, and splash it onto the person who's declaring themselves to be clean, to be healed, Seven different times they were pronounced, be clean, or you are clean. And then they would take the one live bird who's been dipped in the water, dipped in that blood, and they would let the bird fly off to freedom, symbolizing all of what is taking place here. And so after this bird's release then, the cleansed man or woman would wash his or her clothing, shave the hair from his or her body, bathe and enter the camp where the individual and his or her family, along with their friends, would rejoice for seven days. A party is happening. On the seventh day, the person's head, eyebrows, and if it was a man, his beard would be shaved. The individual would again bathe so that just like a newborn baby, that person was ready to enter a new phase of existence. Then comes the eighth day. On the eighth day, the former leper offered three unblemished lambs as a guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. Now, the guilt offering was not an atoning sacrifice. This was an offering given as a restitution. Because you think about what a leper was unable to do as a leper. 
They no longer could be involved in society, which means they also were not allowed to be a part of worship. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't offer sacrifices. They were outside the camp. They were ostracized basically from the people, but also in a like manner, God himself. And so now they're bringing this restitution, this offering back to the Lord and offering that for all of the times they were not able to worship as the word of God prescribed. The priest then would take some of the blood from that restitution offering. He would take the blood, smear it on the offerer's right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe, big toe, and then coat each with a smearing of anointing of oil, thereby symbolizing that the individual would listen to God's voice, use his or her hands for God's glory, and walk in God's ways. And then fittingly, the shaved head was anointed with the rest of the oil, the ceremonial oil. And then finally, having thus declared the leper to be in the Lord's service, this priest made atonement with the sin, the burnt offerings, and then also a cereal offering, which was a joyous expression of gratitude. Eight days of celebration, eight days of ceremony, because this person, man or woman, who had had this disease of leprosy, which prevented them from being with the people, prevented them from being with God in the temple area, in the worship of God, now they've been brought back into community, back into worship. Can you imagine the celebration that was taking place? Walking back in, it could have been days, months, years since they've been embraced like that. Now they're celebrating friend and family together. It was as if a resurrection had taken place. They would have feasted, they would have sang, they would have danced long into the night on that eighth day. And so in our passage here before us, we find Jesus in a new city doing what he's been doing, healing the people, preaching the gospel. And on this case, Luke tells us that here's a man who approaches Jesus who is full of leprosy. Not just a leprous spot, he is full of leprosy. Luke's indication or description here indicates that, that this man was desperately ill. Most likely, he was covered from head to toe with this disease. He had lived with it for years, 20 years, 30 years. He hadn't felt the embrace of a loved one in a long time. His wife, his children, they had all not necessarily walked away from him, but they could not embrace him, could not be around him because of the uncleanliness of being a leper. He knew nothing of what it meant to be embraced any longer. Top of all of that, there was the command from Scripture that if you were a leper, you were to be outside. And if you were to become in contact with clean people, if you were to be around them, you had to announce your presence by saying unclean, unclean, unclean. We see this in Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. But in this passage, we see a man who's in the town among the people coming to Jesus, which tells us he was in a desperate situation. This man set aside his humiliation to come to the Lord. Got to believe that he had heard of Jesus' healings in other cities. He had heard of people who had been healed of, I don't know, pneumonia, dysentery, uh, leprosy, any kind of infirmity you could imagine, even demon possession. He had heard those stories. He looks at his body riddled with disease, and he says, I have only one hope, and it's the man I've heard stories about, and he's in my town. I'm going to go and meet Jesus. Jesus was his last resort. It was his only hope for new life. And so he came to Jesus. 
This morning, there may be some here who need to, to have the Lord's healing touch in their lives physically. There may need be may be something that someone that needs the Lord's cleansing touch on their lives. This leper here shows us some qualifications for being healed by the Lord. Let me just give you three simple things. These are not on your uh, outline there, but I would encourage you to write these down. If we're going to be healed by the Lord, here's three qualifications. It requires an acute awareness of one's condition. Here, here's a man who knew that he was sick. He knew that he was on the verge of death. This leprous man understood the desperate condition of his diseased body. He knew it was destroying him. And so he did not try to hide his condition from God or from others. He came boldly to where Jesus was. Second qualification is a humble realization that Jesus is one's only hope. Luke tells us that he comes before the Lord and he fell on his face and he begged Jesus to help. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus was his only hope. No one else could heal his body. He was absolutely powerless. Medicine was powerless. The only hope for his condition was the special touch of Jesus Christ. And then a third qualification is a genuine belief that Jesus can and will cleanse you. This leper expressed his belief in Jesus' ability to cleanse, his willingness to clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That phrase, we're going to just kind of step stand on it for the uh, next several minutes because that's so foundational to what it means to come to Jesus, that we would understand that Jesus is willing and that Jesus is able to do what we need him to do in our lives. So as I said earlier, leprosy in the Bible is many times pictured as something that represents sin. Isaiah, for instance, in Isaiah 1, lays leprosy out alongside this concept of sin. Then we see the detailed instructions for dealing with it suggest that more was involved in the procedure than maintaining public health. It was, if it was just a public health thing, the Bible would just say, hey, go take some, some medicine or, 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 or smear some salve on it. But it was more than that. Leprosy is a disease that is deeper than the skin. Therefore, it cannot be healed by simply putting something on the surface. In the same way, sin runs deeper than the surface. Sin runs deep in our lives. It spreads and permeates our lives. It defiles every aspect of our lives. As Christians, as Southern Baptists, we believe in the theological concept of total depravity, that there is absolutely nothing good in us. Why? Because sin has tainted every facet of who we are. It's broken who we are. We still bear the image of God. We're still made in His image, and, and we bear all of that, and yet that has been broken and marred by sin. So in biblical times, in the days of Jesus and before that, those who had leprosy were basically regarded as the dead. Their clothing that was infected with it were fit for nothing other than to be put into the fire. The Apostle Paul picks up on this idea and he instructed the Ephesian church that all people outside the redemption of Jesus Christ are what? Dead in trespasses and sins. So there was no cure for leprosy outside of the special healing touch of God. Likewise, when we think of sin, there's no healing. There's no cure for the incessant disease of sin other than the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. God has to step in to bring healing to the leper. God has to step in and bring healing to the sinner. 
As we study this passage, we discover that Jesus has the power to heal physically. Think about that. Jesus can heal us physically. It doesn't happen all the times, but it happens more than we probably realize. That when our, our membership, our, our people, you, some of you sitting here, you've gone to the doctor and you get a diagnosis and you're thinking, man, this is cancer. We, we, we're going to have to do this regimen of treatments. And, and then something happens and, and it's no longer there. There's a healing that takes place. And it's not just cancer, it's something else. God has the power to do such things. I hope we believe that. I hope when we read these things in the scripture, we think, man, that's, that, maybe that happened back then, but it doesn't happen today. Or maybe the author was just kind of elaborating a little bit. I don't really believe that. We should believe what the Bible says about God healing physical diseases. He does it today just as he did it then. But more importantly than that, what we discover here is that Jesus has the, the power to heal us spiritually. He alone through his shed blood forgives and cleanses us from all sin and all its condemnation that it brings on our lives. And so as we think about being cleansed by the Lord, I want to give you three realities, and these are on your outline this morning. Three realities that we need to reach out and just kind of grab hold of this morning. Number one, when we think about being cleansed, we need to understand the reality that Jesus is willing to heal your life to cleanse your life. He's willing. The man here says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This leprous man was asking Jesus, really, Lord, if you are willing, you can do this. Lord, if you would just will to do this. And how does Jesus respond? He says, I will. Lord, if you will. He says, I will. Jesus was willing to cleanse the man of his disease, but his willingness was more than a shout from afar. Notice what Jesus does in this. Jesus doesn't just kind of stand at a social distance, if you will. And he doesn't say, you stand over there, I'm over here. I want to keep my distance from you because I don't want what you have to come over to me and, and, and infect my life. No, Jesus walks over to him and Luke tells us that he embraces him. He touches him. Here's a man, as I said earlier, he's probably not felt a human touch, maybe outside of another leper in years, if not decades. He hadn't felt his wife's hug since he can't even remember. His children may not even come and visit him in that place because it's so disease infected. It's so uh, just, just terrible conditions. It stinks. It's filthy. It's nasty. It's nothing but a bunch of rotting flesh as dad and all of his leprous friends are hanging out together. So they just kind of stand from afar. But here is the Lord Jesus who not only looks at this leper and just imagine what this guy would have looked like. Just imagine what this man would have smelt like. Here's Jesus walking over the very God of God walks over and touches this man, embraces him and says, I will. I will cleanse you. I am willing to cleanse your life. Mark tells us in Mark 41, his record of this same account says, Jesus was moved with pity. He looked on this man like no one else had in years and touches him. It's a powerful scene. It's so powerful because when you think about what all this means what was going on here since the very day of this man's diagnosis people had avoided him as a plague but now jesus is reaching out and touching him everyone who witnessed this i'm sure was shocked by it touching the unclean leper meant that jesus was now ceremonially unclean but the leper felt the love of god 
So what was Jesus doing all this? First of all, I think we can make a clear argument that Jesus' holiness trumps the uncleanliness that comes from a disease, right? He's untouched by those sorts of things. Yes, ceremonially, according to the law, Jesus would have been unclean, but it did nothing to touch the holiness and the cleanliness of his spirit and of his soul. But it also tells us that Jesus, in his willingness, wanted to make sure that this man, this leper, who had felt no love from people for many, many years, felt the love from Almighty God, felt the embrace from Almighty God, felt the, the care and the support and everything that he missed for all of those years. Now he's getting it from Jesus himself. He wants this man to know that he understood his pain, that he would be with him, that he loved him just as he was. Jesus didn't tell him to go get a bath, put on some new clothes, come, and I'll heal you. You think about the passage we looked at last week. Miss Barbara's here this morning, and she mentioned this, and maybe someone else mentioned this. But, you know, we talk about the catch of fish that Jesus had uh, Peter and Andrew uh, catch there in the boat. When you think about fish, we're to catch them, we're to cast the net, and we bring them, and Jesus cleans them. That's the exact same thing happening here in this text. Jesus is not saying, go fix yourself and then come to me. No, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you what you need. It's a beautiful and powerful overshadowing theological component to this touch as well. You see, when Jesus stretched out his pure hand and touched the rotting flesh of this leper's hand, it pictures the incarnation and the cross. As Jesus took on human flesh, he became sin for us so that we could take on his purity. I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took hold of our flesh. Jesus touched us. He's healed us. As we see Jesus bent over this prostrate leper before him, his holy hand resting on the decaying flesh of the foul-smelling man, what we see is that he willingly did this for him, which means he willingly does this for us. Jesus willingly wants to do in our lives what we need him to do the most. There's a second thing, second reality that I want us to see. Not only is Jesus willing to cleanse your life, Jesus is able to cleanse your life. See, in addition to hoping that Jesus was willing to cleanse, the leper believed Jesus was able to cleanse. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, I mean, here's what he's saying. Lord, I've been everywhere and I've done everything. There's no hope for me, but I believe you are my hope. I believe you can and I believe you are able to cleanse me if you are willing but I believe you can. And the Lord's response is, be clean. One, work in the, one word in the Greek. And Luke tells us that immediately the leprosy left him. There at the last part of verse 13. Immediately it's gone. What does that mean? It's a sudden and complete healing. Just put yourself in that, that, that scene there. You're one of the people standing around watching this thing happen. At first, you're detesting what's taking place. You smell the foul odor from this man. You see the, 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 the horrible condition of his skin. You're, you're aghast at what you see. But more than that, you're amazed by what happens next. Here's a man who's lost all of his toes. It's nothing but ulcerated stubs down there with small sandals to fit what's left of a foot. And immediately, toes are back on his feet. 
his hands who's, that have lost fingers. Maybe he's lost three of the five or maybe all five. Now all of a sudden are restored and he's got hands that are beautiful. His skin that has been just decimated with ulcers and sores and, and rotting flesh now is nothing but smooth and succulent. I mean, it's wonderful. It's amazing. All of the things that are bad about this person are made whole and new because of Jesus and his touch. His hair has grown back. His eyebrows are there. His eyelashes are back on his eyes. I mean, he's, he's handsome once again. He smells good. He's been made new because of Jesus. What's happened here is the walking dead man has been resurrected to new life by Jesus Christ. Here's a resurrection without a full death in his life. But it pictures what Jesus does for us. You say, I don't know if I can believe all of that. That sounds pretty impossible. It is impossible. Medicine couldn't do anything for leprosy back then. Medicine can't do anything for leprosy today. It might be able to cure some of these things because we, we've advanced in our medical tech, technology. We might be able to do something with some of these various diseases. But here's what medicine will not do. If you lose toes and fingers because of this condition, medicine doesn't bring those things back. But this man was healed. Medicine may be able to cure and heal up a wound, but the scar is still there. I, I just got to believe that this man looked clean and new once again, all things new in his life. That's what Jesus does. Enough. He is able to do that. Do we believe it this morning? This was an impossible healing, but Jesus does the impossible. How do we know that? Because when he's standing there in John 11 with Mary and Martha, and they're mourning over the loss of their brother, and it's been four days since they buried that guy, and Jesus comes into town. He feels their, their, their sadness. He feels the aching of their hearts, and the Bible tells us that he weeps, and he's talking with the two sisters, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Mary and Martha, you don't understand all of the, about what's going to happen, but I have the power, I have the ability to bring this dead man who's now, just as you say, at a point where he's going to begin to have a stench, but he's going to walk out without a stench on him. I am the resurrection and the life. There's a third reality we want to grab hold of this morning as we think about Jesus cleansing us, and that is the cleansing Jesus makes in your life. It's verifiable. You can see it. In verse 14, the man was told to go and to present himself to the priest. Now, we might read that this morning, as I have many times, and think, why not send him to his mama? Why not send him to his wife or his kids first? Why is he going to the, to the priest very first thing? Let me give you some reasons for that. One reason for this was so the priestly establishment wouldn't recognize his healing before they heard, or would recognize his healing before they heard that Jesus had done it. It could be that when they heard that Jesus had healed this man, they just negate the whole thing altogether. Uh, you probably never had leprosy to begin with. They just begin to, to, to sidetrack the whole story. Therefore, what does that mean for the man? He's never allowed back into the community. He's never allowed to come back into worship. So Jesus here in this instruction is following the prescription of the law. You're to go and to present yourself to the preacher, to go through the steps so that you're deemed ceremonially clean. So you now have access back into the society, which means you have access back into the worship of God. Another reason might have been prophetic. So by having the man present himself to the priest, the miracle was a great testimony to the leadership of the, uh, uh, of the spiritual elite of the, of the day that the Messianic age had come. So rabbinic teachings show us the Jews believe that 
sickness and the things of that nature would be removed in the time of the Messiah. And so by this man going, presenting himself to the priest, here's a leper who's been healed. It's declaring the Messiah has come. And Jesus wanted that conveyed to the spiritual leaders. A final reason might have pointed to celebration for God's grace. Think back of those eight days that I described earlier. During those eight days of ritual verification and celebration, all of those were meant to testify to the great grace of God. So in this celebration of the event, the people came to know that Jesus heals leprosy. Jesus heals the most impossible, insidious diseases known to man. But even more than that, what we see in the text is that Jesus heals leprosy of the soul. Jesus can do the impossible in our lives. He not only heals skin diseases, he heals the disease of sin and its condemnation. Swarner, do we know that to be true in our lives? Do we know that Jesus can heal? Have we experienced that in our own just experience as a human being, our experience as a follower of God, that we have tasted and seen that God is good? And if so, is it verifiable in our life? I like how Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 17, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You see, if Jesus has cleansed you through the washing of his blood, that was shed on the cross, then you have been made clean and you've been made whole. That means the new life you enjoy with, in Christ will be evident in how you live. It will be verifiable. There's a day, I uh, had the privilege uh, a couple days ago to go to one of our young families and talk with one of their children about coming to know Jesus. And so, uh, long conversation. She's been, Lord's been moving her in this process for a number of months. And it's always wonderful how when God's moving in a kid's heart, you can't get them off the subject. And so it's, you just kind of walk with it. And, and that's what we did. We got to the place and she prayed to receive Christ uh, Friday afternoon. It was a great thing. And so somehow we got in a conversation about like when I came to know the Lord. And I said, you know, it's a process. I, I pray to receive. I, I did some spiritual stuff and when I was young and I tried to make that work. But I ultimately had to come to a place as a freshman in college when I, ha- I just had to give my life to Jesus because going through the motions was not enough being around spiritual things was not enough. There was no evidence, verifiable evidence in my life. I just played the part. But there was a day in 1997, April 24th, I guess I'm coming up on a birthday here in a few weeks, when Jesus verifiably changed my life. Up until then, it was kind of kicking and screaming, kind of like bath time, kicking and screaming at times. I don't want to take a bath. I want to be around the things of the bathtub, but I don't want to take a bath. I fully don't understand, as I said earlier, why it's so stressful and difficult. Why kids don't recognize the need for bathing. Why they want to play in the bathtub, but want nothing to do with the soap and the water. But here's what I think I know about human beings in general, especially adults, teenagers and adults. On a spiritual plane... This unwillingness to recognize the need for cleansing is not a whole lot different than a kid in a bathtub. You see, many people will refuse to get in that proverbial bathtub. They want nothing to do with the gospel. They want nothing to do with its cleansing power in their life. They want to do their own thing. They want to keep as far away from the Lord as possible. And yet there are others that that don't mind being in the bathtub. 
They don't mind coming to church. They don't mind being around Christian people. They don't mind even maybe reading the Bible and singing songs and going through the motions. That's a good thing for them. It gives them a level of comfort. But when it's all said and done, just sitting in the bathtub, playing in the water doesn't make you clean. I walked in the other day, my youngest, sometime this past week, and I said, all right, you know, she'd played in the bathtub for like 45 minutes to an hour. The water's ice cold. I mean, like icicles are hanging off the faucet. It's so cold. And she's like, oh, I wash myself. Oh, really? Okay. Um, where's the soap in the water? I, I wash myself. I've touched the bar of soap. It's, it's dry. How did you wash yourself? I, I wash myself. <laughs> okay. Why don't we just wash yourself again? So I began to wash her again. Setting in the bathtub, going through the motions, does it cleanse you? You have to come to a place where you reach out, grab the soap, and get clean. Now, we can't do that for ourselves, Right? I've tried many times as a younger person, even sometimes in my own Christian life, try to do things to, to make myself better. But the only thing that will make us clean before God is God himself taking his own soap and cleaning your life. What's his soap? It's the blood shed on the cross. Picture of that bird being broken in that clay pot, blood being drained, sprinkled over a person who is who is unclean, and then the bird who's alive being set free is all a beautiful picture of what Jesus accomplished for you and for me on the cross. His body is bruised and broken so that we could be forgiven by his loving, sacrificial act. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't know if you're refusing to get in the tub or if you're playing with the rubber ducky in the tub, but if you're not clean today, this morning there's no thing greater that you need in your life than to put down the rubber ducky and to let the Lord Jesus begin to cleanse your life. I hope you're picking, picking up on this picture I'm laying out this morning. And if you're a Christian this morning, you ought to celebrate all that Jesus has done in, done in you and done for you because you were once like this leper, just God-awful in appearance and in personality and all of that, reprehensible before the Lord, and yet Jesus reached out and touched you and brought you to himself and embraced you. This morning, you ought to be grateful for that. And if you don't know that embrace this morning, I hope you will reach out and pursue that. We're going to have a time of response. Pastor Nate's getting ready. We're going to sing a song as we do every Sunday morning. If God is speaking in your life in some form or fashion, maybe you're watching this online and God is speaking to you and he's helping you understand that you may be in the bathtub, but you're not being cleansed and having been cleansed by Jesus. Today, you need that in your life. I would ask you to call upon the name of the Lord. I told this little girl Friday afternoon, we read through Romans 10 verses 9 through 13. And verse 13 says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, you may need that in your own life. I invite you to call upon him. He will save you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you for all that you've done for us. God, what a beautiful picture this passage is of how you reach out to such unloving, incredibly putrid people and you bring them in as your own. You embrace us. You hug us. You touch us. You, you change us. Lord, you don't require that we go clean ourselves up, maybe as some, uh, some monarch would, but Lord, you take us just as we are, bruised and broken and filthy and nasty and hateful and spiteful. And you just say, come to me. 
And through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the shed blood there on the cross, you forgive our sins, you transform our lives, and we go from dead in trespasses and sin to new life in Jesus Christ. Many of us in this room watching online, we can attest to that transformation. It's verifiable in our lives, and we praise you this morning for it. But God, there are some sitting here, some listening, who have never experienced that. Today, they need that. Open their eyes. Open their ears, open their heart this morning to call unto you like this leper. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Bless our time of response. We pray in Jesus' name. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.